We are live from the empire of lies, an oasis of truth and free speech in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. This is a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Our producer Rod from Philly is there, I take it. Rod, you there? Yeah, Lee, I'm here. You've had a busy afternoon, have you not? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> well, so Rod was in court covering the Durham hearing, right? That's what you were, the Sussman trial, correct? It, correct, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it went on longer than I thought, so I had to, I had to leave. Uh, it went into recess at like 12.45, so they were gonna, they were gonna keep going. But we'll get a report from Rod later and he can tell us what he saw at the very important Sussman hearing, part of the Durham investigation. And I say it's very important because you wouldn't know it by watching the news. Did you see a lot of reporters there? Zero, zero. Humble set. And was it hard to get in? Was uh, there there was people- there was, a good amount of people inside. there was a good amount of people inside, uh, but I think it was a lot of people that uh, were with, um, you know, Sussman and uh, Robbie Mook and the Democrats. Um, so that that was my take. It was, it was a lot of people, but there wasn't really uh, a lot of reporting going on. Now, you've also been able to put together a great first show for us on a Friday with Scotty Nell Hughes in the first hour. Our good friend Scotty will be talking to us about the events of the day, and also about conservative politics in general. She knows quite a bit about that. Then in the second hour, closing out the week, our friend Tom Nichols, author and writer for publications such as Front Page Magazine, he'll be joining us, and it's a great show. And we're also taking your calls at 202-521-1320. This is a show about great conversations and information you won't get anywhere else. This is The Backstory. So Rob, we're talking a little bit, let's get more of your report. So uh, what stood out at you today? What were they taking testimony on? What issue today? Uh, today, the government was brought up uh, James Baker from the FBI. Uh, I forget exactly his title at the FBI. And then they brought up Robbie Mook, who was the campaign director for Hillary Clinton for America. And, and he, he would seem to be an important witness. So did we get anything out of Mook? Uh, we did. He was, a, he was the last witness right before I left. Um, we did get a little bit of uh, information from him, and as far as uh, this Alpha Bank document and how it got to the media and how it got back to the Clinton, uh, the Clinton campaign, and so pretty much what they were asking Robbie Mook about is, you know, how did this Alpha Bank information get to the Clinton campaign? And he he explained how he got how he got it, and or how they got it. And what he felt about it, and Robbie Mook felt that this information was it was it was a nothing it was a nothing burger, but they still went along with it and pre- uh, presented it to the media. And uh, Robbie got caught in a little um, uh, how, how do I say? Because you know how lawyers are, they don't say it's a lie. So 
but he got caught in, in a, uh, a narrative because he was saying that the media was reporting the Alpha Bank uh, and Trump Tower uh, communications. But at the same time, when the government would question him, but he was like, well, didn't you guys give it to the media, uh, specifically Slate? And Robbie had to confess, like, well, yeah, we gave it to Slate. And so then Slate came back and told and put it out in the media, uh, you know, exactly what the Clinton administration put out. And then the Clinton administration freaked out, you know, uh, freaked out. You know, they acted like, they, you know, like, oh, my God, look, look at this uh, the, uh, startling information between the Trump and Russia that the Alpha Bank is communicating with uh, the Trump Tower and Spectrum Health in Michigan. That's another part that we really haven't uh, gotten uh, down to with the Spectrum Health in Michigan. What's that part about it? So Robbie got caught in that. Uh, another part, and then uh, before that, he was he was the last witness. It was James Baker, and James Baker was also being questioned of of his communications with uh, Michael Sussman. He he knows him personally, and pretty much he was finagling around that he knew that Michael Sussman, who worked with the Clinton campaign, was giving this information to the FBI and working with the CIA. And James Baker was going back and forth saying, "Well, if I would have knew, I would have you know." I would have did something, but at the same time, he knew. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? They were just going back and forth. And as a jury, I was paying attention to the jury. It was, um, it was mostly. I was. I was there was like a. It was a black older woman, black older man, young young black man, young black woman. Uh, so they made a mixture of old and young. Oh, and I saw another older white woman there uh, as well. They were they were trying to stay awake. I was watching, this, so I could understand that their their confusion with this. So it was just pretty much James Baker and and, and Robbie Mook trying to uh, you know keep keep the lie going of of how this Alpha Bank information got out there, and also they kept repeating the the Russia hack and that Trump was working with Russia. You know, he came out and said, let's. Uh, Russia, if you have Hillary's emails, release it. So they kept repeating all those lines that we hear in the media. And the government lawyers, to me, they could have batted any of that stuff down or clarified it, you know, but they didn't. So they go along with the narrative as well. Now, that's very interesting. Now, what's that health company mentioned in Michigan? Spectrum Health. So I'm get, I don't know exactly how they're, I guess somehow cyber-wise, they're connected to this whole alpha bank thing but uh in the documents and stuff that were presented in the court uh, they even outlined that you know this that the accusation was that this trump tower was communicating with alpha bank in moscow and i, I like i said i don't know exactly how and i i didn't i guess i didn't maybe we skipped over it uh, a year or two ago but somehow there's a spectrum health in michigan that's involved uh, so I have to look back into that and see how they're involved. So that was part of the testimony, though, that that company came up, and you just don't know what it's about. Okay, it's interesting. So, Rod, thanks for that report, great report. Do you think the jury's going to be too confused to come up with a guilty verdict for Sussman, or? Oh, yeah, and I, you know, um, Sussman's, it looked like it was either his mother-in-law or his mother and his wife. They were, I was sitting right near them. They, you know, they didn't look really too concerned to me. He didn't seem too concerned. There was a couple breaks, and he was just walking around, and he would talk to people. 
So he didn't seem too concerned. Uh, you know, I saw Durham. I saw you know I saw him working and working with his team. Uh, I was gonna I was gonna ask him a question, but um, like I said, it was it was still I thought the the the, um, the deliberations would be over by at least one o'clock, but that was just halftime, and I had to go, so I wasn't able to speak to him. Right, but still great report, Rod, and congratulations on getting in the packed courtroom amongst the press. I'm joking. Because he said no press was down there. And I'm not surprised. Yeah, just to, yeah when Robbie Mook was leaving, uh, usually they're outside and they go inside. You know, that's usually how they do these these big court cases. Uh, you know, his lawyers, who I think I've seen on TV before, they're both, it's a woman and a man. They're both like 5'1", barely. Uh, they asked him, like, hey, do you want to go out the back just in case there's any media? And he was like, no, <laughs> there was nobody. There was nobody outside. So there was nobody. There was no reason to go out the back. So. Right. Because when I covered the George Zimmerman trial in Florida, there was so much press there. It was like a carnival outside. Literally, it was like one of those state fairs. It was like a county fair. It was a huge parking lot, a field of media, everybody. But at these things in Washington about, I'm gonna use the word insurrection. This is an attempt to overthrow the Trump presidency. And it was an effective insurrection. They rendered the Trump presidency ineffective. That was a complex sentence. But my point is they hamstrung the president. Did they not, Rod? All the news about the president of Russia and everything else made it impossible for him to govern, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and just a second thing, uh, we have uh, uh, Tariq on the line as well. Um, but yeah, no, it, it definitely made him an effective, uh, ineffective president. I mean, this was a huge cloud over his head. Every move he made, you know, oh, look, he's, he's colluding with Russia. And, you know, you know how Trump is. If you throw out an accusation, he's going to punch back, even if how stupid it might be. So, you know, I mean, they're still they're still to this daily. I mean, as we speak, they're still trying to say he had something to do with Russia. Right. And he put more sanctions on Russia than Obama did. And you can see if Trump's working for Russia, he really is not earning his paycheck right now. Trump on the war. He must well be wearing the Zelensky dress, some statements he's making, right? Trump has, Trump has come out saying Russia's committing genocide and all these other nonsense statements that Zelensky's made. He's completely pro-Ukraine, right? Am I missing something? Or is he completely pro-Ukraine? No, I would I would agree with that. He he's he's taking the establishment line, and he doesn't get questioned about it. That's my that's the thing that I would love to see people question him about it. Like you know either you know before you could do it on Twitter, people would be able to enough tweets and he'd respond. But we don't have that, and you know now you'd have to get him at Mar a Lago or at some type of rally. But you know who's going to do that? No, no one's going to do it, and. So we'll talk about that more later. We got some war updates on how it's going. And the answer is some of the stuff 
forget the battles. Oh, the Russia seems to be getting ground back from Ukraine. They were at the Russian border, and they seem to be pushed back. And Russia's gaining ground after their devastating, humiliating victory at Mariupol. But Russia's on the move. But the big move, and we'll talk to Tarif, then we'll talk more about this. Europe is facing a food crisis. Europe is going to be out of food soon. And Russia's having a record harvest. And if Europe doesn't back down soon, they're going to be facing not just an energy crisis, but a food crisis. And I think Russia has already, Europe hasn't capitulated. Europe hasn't pulled an Azov at Mariupol and surrendered. But they're going to have to very soon. Europe is going to have to stop their foolishness because they're at a point where they're begging, basically, Putin to be an idiot. They're asking him, ignore all the sanctions we're putting on you. Just you're responsible. You have a responsibility to the world to supply us with food. And Putin said, basically, uh, not even basically, Putin said, what are we, idiots? Did you see that quote, Rod? Yeah, I did see that. And, and I think that, that that's fitting. You know, uh, Putin's, I think he's gotten a, a lot more, uh, I would say he kind of trolls, he, especially the Biden administration. He trolls them and he's like, well, you know, what do you guys expect me to lay down for you? Like, come on. And right. So, and he, he literally said, what are we, idiots? And uh, he's right to say that because Europe is treating him, the EU, like he's an idiot. A lot of this, this is why they've had to point out, Lavrov said, the energy business is not charity. Why does this stuff need to be pointed out to these people? We'll talk about that after this. 202-521-1320. Tarif, you're on. What's on your mind, buddy? How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. I got um, about four or five comments. Um, first, I'd like to say, for free journal science, to piggyback on what you're saying about the food crisis that Europe might be experiencing this summer in October. It is true. Um, the, Europe is basically asking Belarus with uh, trying to get permission from also Russia to ship the grain and flour through Belarus all the way to, all the way to Latern, uh, Latvia to get the um, product from out of there. But it seems like that's not happening. Um, my second comment Erdogan made a statement saying that they get 50% of the natural gas from Russia. And they cannot break that. And they also have agreements on the work to build a nuclear power plant in Ankara, with Russia help, helping them build it. Russia also holds a whole bunch of coal power power plants, one big old nuclear power plant now, gas fields and oil fields, and all the you know, coal mines that's in southern and southeastern um, Ukraine that's now is on the uh, Russian control. And it was rumored that the energy that the nuclear power produced, if um, Ukraine <laughs> want to get energy from the plant, even though Ukraine built it, they're going to have to pay Russia for it. So, and also, the um, Lutheran and uh, Lutheran energy coming from um, 
electricity coming from Russia will be cut off, May the 22nd. And tomorrow, the gas supply going to Flint will be cut off. And uh, one more thing, the, not, the um, Avzov Battalion, so running at Avzov-Tall, uh, uh, all of them. So you got Russian forces in the underground basements. They're doing forensics and all type of stuff. They're removing bodies. And just in time for the June tribunals, we're going to see if they're going to come out with anything from that. Hopefully they can find something and bring it up to, you know, what's going on. But, yeah, that's all I have to say today. Thank you, um, Lee, for taking my uh, call. Well, Tarif, good call. And so, as Tarif confirmed, they're facing, there's two things I think you don't want a crisis on. Don't want to be out of energy and food. Is that safe to say, Rod? Yeah, because you leave your most vulnerable population out to dry. And that would be your youngest, which would be babies, and your oldest, which would be your elderly. And I know Europe has a problem with their elder population already and um, sustaining that. So this is going to be... Uh, I, don't, I don't even know because you know, I've never experienced this in my life to see what's about to happen. Well, in some of the countries, I don't want to say which ones because I don't want to panic anyone. I might be wrong. But I think Latvia is one of the countries that's potentially facing these food crises. But a lot of Europe is going to. And you brought it on yourselves. You, you listen to the U.S. EU, you listen to the U.S. And think about this. The EU, don't forget, banned RT. Remember that a few months ago at the outset of the war, the EU banned RT. So therefore, and let's say it would be Vienna or something, people in the EU have no access to accurate information. So they're just going to wonder what's going on. Russia is not saying they will not give your food. They're not saying under no circumstances do you get food and energy? What they're saying is, at the same time you're giving us these sanctions, we're not going to help you. Because why would we? Because we're not idiots. And so all Europe has to do is call off the stupid sanctions, which were the U.S.'s idea anyway. But these crises are not going away. Despite the fact that they can't listen to RT, the food crisis is not going away. That didn't make the crisis go away. And I pointed this out before. We're winning. I saw a headline today. It was on Apple News. I forget where it came from. I think it was Reuters. But Rod... Did you hear musicians in Ukraine are fighting the war with song? <laughs> no, I missed that headline, Lee. That's crazy. That is just crazy. Wow. That's just rich now, right there. Well, right. Now, now while they're fighting with song, uh, Russia's fighting with men and missiles. And I'd say put my money on the missiles. If it's a bunch of musicians. And I'll tell you what I heard today. There's a rumor, and I'm stating this as a rumor. 
there's a rumor that the soldiers, Azov Battalion, and the people in the steel mill who are holding up that did you hear the rumor that Zelensky told him to hold off surrendering until after the Eurovision Song Contest? Yeah, I did hear that. I did hear that. And that's, that just adds to the craziest. Like, come on, man. <laughs> these people are stuck. These people have, I mean, not that I have any sympathy for these Azov fighters because, you know, they're crazy and, the, and all the, they're crazy and sick. So, you know, I don't have too much sympathy for them. But these guys are starving. They have no water, they have no ammunition. And you tell them to wait after a, a music contest? Like, come on. Yes, but it's the reason I give some credence to that rumor is it fits with what I've seen of Zelensky's, put this in air quotes, character. Zelensky's a guy, clearly, Jason Goodman pointed out, and Jason's still suspended on Twitter. And I'll talk about that in a second. But he points out that Zelensky opened the Cannes Film Festival. Zelensky did the Grammys, right? He's the guy who likes to be at award ceremonies and film festivals. Have you noticed that? Yeah, you're right. You're right. When that, the, when you put it like that, yeah, you're right. And now I see what I see that. Yes, he's been doing it here and international to the Ukrainians, but domestically for us. So he, why wouldn't he do the vice versa? And, you know, in a lot of ways, speaking of the Grammys, Zelensky is the Milli Vanilli of presidents. Because, remember, Milli Vanilli won the Grammy, but they didn't sing their song. Remember that, right? Robin Fab, rest in peace. Remember, Rod, the Milli Vanilli? Yes, of course. <laughs> I actually seen an interview with them maybe two or three years ago. And they were defending themselves. They were saying, you know, people think they can't sing or perform, but they, you know, they, they can they can actually sing. So, yeah, and that's why you didn't sing on your album. But you know, some people would say that's an indicator. What they're saying is there were better singers out there. Fine, but uh, Zelensky is that level of fake. It's all about it's all about ceremony and getting you two down the subway and being at the Grammys. How did militarily, what was the advantage of having Zelensky at the Grammys? Was it, were the Grammys a key choke point in the battles going on? Was Did I miss that in my non-military strategist to see that the Grammys were not a strategic battle. But oh, Zelensky, yeah. he liked being there. And I'll put it out again. The fact that it's admitted he made $10 million last year. And no one's going, what is up with that? Here in America, usually the politicians wait till they've been out of office a year. Before they rack in that money. But he's racking it in while he's president. $10 million. For helping cause this war. Because again. This did not have to be. Now. Ukraine. 
David, I negotiating style. I read their, did you read their latest demands, Rod? They've said. No, I didn't, I didn't take the demands part. Okay, they're getting beaten. Especially in the Donbass, but really all over the country. They're getting beaten. People are getting injured and dying. Mostly in the military. So they said there will not be a ceasefire unless it's on their terms. Now, do you know what one of their terms is? That Russia withdraw completely from Ukraine, including Crimea. Well, that's not going to happen. Right. So you see what I'm saying? It's a weird way to conduct negotiations by saying things that are never going to happen, especially when you're losing. Right. When you're losing the war, why would Russia withdraw? And from Crimea, the Crimean people don't want them to withdraw. And the people of Donbass don't want to. The, do you think the people of Mariupol, the people of Mariupol, they don't want Russia to leave, do they, Rod? They've been very clear on it. No, not at all. I think uh, BBC was there a couple of weeks ago, maybe about two weeks ago, when uh, they had civilians that came out of the steel plant. And, you know, they tried to interview them and say, well, you know, try to call the Azov fighters their, their heroes. And these one of the guys who was like, what heroes? These people are monsters. They're used as human shields. So I know that people in Mariupol would, wouldn't want the Russian soldiers to leave. You're right. That did make the BBC, that quote. And they didn't mean it to. But sometimes the truth, when it's so overwhelming, occasionally sneaks out. Now, I want to... And we'll talk about this more with Scotty, I think. But Twitter has made some noises. Have you heard the Twitter noises about them getting tougher on Ukraine misinformation? Yeah, I saw that yesterday during the show. Right. Now, Twitter has said that they're going to start clamping down on Ukraine disinformation. And I applaud that move. If by that they mean disinformation by Ukraine. But that apparently wasn't what they meant. You have one side. Remember when the Russians lied about Snake Island? Remember that? Yeah, I don't think it even made 24 hours. Right. Russia didn't lie about it. Ukraine did. That whole story was made up. Remember when Ukraine lied about the ghosts of Kiev? And these are admitted lies. These are admitted lies. Major narratives that are part of the Ukraine narrative have been exposed as lies. The idea that in Mariupol, the troops had not surrendered, but that they, what's the term they use, Rod? They evacuated. <laughs> evacuated. I can't even remember because it's such a hideous lie. They surrendered, period, the end. They surrendered. That's why people are being taken prisoner now. Now they're starting to admit that. But the disinformation is coming from Ukraine. And furthermore, there might be some minor disinformation, by which I mean, if Russia reports something like casualty numbers, 
and it came out that they slightly underreported them, for instance. Would that shock you? I'm not saying they have even, but if they did slightly underreport casualty numbers, it wouldn't shock me. Because and if Ukraine did that, I'd be okay with that too. What Russia hasn't done is blatant lying. I have not seen one case where Russia has blatantly lied. Have you? I don't mean about you. Can you no. think of one case? No, I can't. I can't, Lee. I really can't. And I'm, you know, if there was, I would call it out, but I can't think of one. The only case in the run to the war, they were deceptive. Putin was saying, including Macron, we're not going to go in. But simultaneously, Russia was saying, these are our red lines. This is what it will take for us to go in. And then they went in. And I don't expect Russia to reveal honesty is one thing. I don't expect them to reveal troop movements. Does it make sense? Military stuff you have to keep secret. But when we come back, we'll talk about the censorship that Twitter is threatening with Scotty L. Hughes and other issues of the day here on The Backstory. We're back to The Backstory from the Empire of Lies, and in the Empire of Lies capital, Washington, D.C., we're broadcasting on 105.5 FM and AM 1390. Joining us now, good friend of the show, Scotty Nell Hughes. Hey, Scotty, how you doing? I am doing wonderful, and it was great to hear the segment before me where you were talking about how Elon Musk, who everybody's championing, is going to come in and bring transparency and truth to Twitter, and already... You're seeing some major red flags about is that really what he's going to do? Or is he just uh, what we've always done, Lee, you and I have agreed on. It's one thing for them to do it, but it's another thing for us to do it. And it sounds like he's already going into it, but it's going to be maybe in his favor, uh, the type of restrictions that he might put on. Yes. And you do think he will protect and and they've done this designation already. Do you have one of the labels that I have the Russian affiliate media. Do you have one of those labels, Scotty? I do not. I don't know how. I was glad I was able to escape it, but despite, you know, but I did also not have RT or Sputnik in my title just because I realized a couple months ago what, where I felt like this was going to start going once Joe Biden was in the office. And part of the thing they can do with these labels is they restrict, they use the algorithm, which Elon Musk talks about not liking, but they use the algorithm. And so let me uh, apparently veer off topic for a second, but it's actually on topic. Did you see, of course you did, that Nina Jankowicz, the former governor of Mis- disinformation, the head of the disinformation governance board, you saw she resigned a couple of days ago. Right, Scotty? I I did see that, but here's kind of a point that I made a few days ago when this happened initially, and I think even more, it's coming to fruition. It's being proven now. 
Listen, they did not this this idea of a, a government's oversight board. They just went, went public with it. We know that this type of I don't machine within administration, both the Trump administration as well as the uh, Biden administration, probably even into the Bush and Obama, has always existed within the White House. They've always done everything to counter the news that is against their agenda, even if you know, especially if it was the truth that made them look bad. They were always on top of it. And so what this was was very bold when they announced this new government agency a few weeks ago. I was like, wow, they're very brazen. They obviously think they can get away with literally anything right now. The murdering of the U.S. Constitution and the right to free speech and free press, they are boldly saying we don't believe in it anymore and announced this new department with this new head that it didn't take more than a Google search to find out just how absolutely loony and biased and what her beliefs were. It was two seconds. So they, and the fact that they've eliminated and she's publicly resigned doesn't mean that I think that this whole machine is gone. It's just gone back down into the basement of the White House, but it is still definitely strong. And and it's also, uh, and I agree with you, and it's also with a victim, with a martyr. Mm -hmm. Did you see Nia Jankowicz out there whining about her treatment? I did, especially on MSNBC, and, and I have to just be really shocked. That's a, once again shows just how powerful the media press machine is by this administration, how much they truly have become their PR firm, because they didn't have to come out and say anything. Uh, Nina could, you know, you didn't ever have to be worried about her getting hard questions because the interviews that she did, they were truly almost scripted by her. She could not have written them better to make herself look like the victim and look like the person that was truly trying to be honest and integrity and try to bring, you know, protect America when her actual job goal was the exact opposite. And you're right. And and she was using MSNBC to portray herself as the victim. And specifically, she brought up something. She said, I was attacked by people who put national security I have their own political interests. Did you notice that? National security above their own political interests. What is wrong with that, Lee? Please tell me what is wrong with actually putting security and safety over political agendas? Well, because what she means by national security interests is not what you and I might mean, like avoiding a nuclear war. That's not what she means. What she means is Russian. You know, I, I, I don't know if you get this ever, but I get attacked on Twitter often as a traitor. I'm not a traitor. There's nothing about Russia that is inherently my enemy as an American. I feel that very strongly. Remember the Revolutionary War, 1776. Russia was not our enemy. Remember World War II, Russia was not our enemy. I don't think that as an American, Russia is my enemy. And I think you agree, right? So I don't see where being opposed to a Ukraine policy, spending $40 billion, is somehow anti-American. You ever get that nonsense about being a traitor? 
<laughs> is the sky blue? Is the grass green? But I've had that nonsense every day since uh, since I I got active again in my adulthood. And the key is to all of that. That's a part of the whole bullying and the shaming side of it. It's like they want you to show. Let me ask you this question. So I just got a call from my my very good friend. She's involved in politics. She pays a close attention to it, but she says, what is going on with the World Health Organization and this meeting they're having on May 22nd? Now, I'm pretty active in politics. I'm like, Chandra, I was like, I I adore you, but uh, there's a lot involved with it. Where is it being covered? What news station is being covered with it? And I said, none. Well, where's Fox? And I'm like, definitely not there. Where's Newsmax? Afraid of a lawsuit. One America? Yeah, they don't have enough staff. Nobody. What about what, what about Breitbart? What about to War Room? And I said, yeah, maybe. I, I can't guarantee it because what's happened is everybody who had a voice, who really had put themselves, it put this country ahead of their own agendas, their own pockets. They have been silenced. They have been bullied. They have been taken off air. They have been threatened with lawsuits. And if you're someone that is not selfish, you more than likely don't have a lot of money because you didn't play the game right. And so, therefore, the threat of a lawsuit is enough to keep you quiet because you like to feed uh, feed your family, if you can find the food, of course. Uh, and so that is what we're dealing with right now. The, there's key, very important things happening in the world right now that is getting zero coverage. And I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist, Lee, but that is 100% on purpose. That is what they wanted. They did not want the masses knowing exactly what they're doing. They did not want to know why the U.S., is going into Somalia. They did not want to actually talk about why Finland and Sweden, why they want to actually be a part of NATO and, and why they're going to be probably let in, why Joe Biden's endorsement, or why Joe Biden went over to Japan and South Korea, that he wants to create a, a, this Asian version of NATO over there. I guess ADO, I don't know what you want to call it, or PADO. But that's the whole reason why he's over there. Why? Because he's seeing that he is losing immensely in Ukraine, and he needs to be able to find other alliances and possibly fight a proxy war. All of these things that are happening in this world that, Lee, I know you're frustrated at watching. I'm frustrated watching because they're not being told to the average American. You're getting the same repetitive narrative, rinse, wash, repeat, over and over again, across the board, on every network currently on air. Now, I'll say this is something we've been talking about all week. I'll say that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are both useless, and they're basically a uniparty. That being said, the Democrats are worse. And I still absolutely fervently believe that. There was not one Democrat, including as many people pointed out, Bernie Sanders, who stepped out. And it's very clear, Michael Tracy said today, stop giving Bernie the benefit of the doubt. He voted for this $40 billion. Bernie Sanders is as big a warmonger as Mitt Romney or Lindsey Graham or anybody. You cannot say he's less of a warmonger. He is all in on his $40 billion. And at least on the Republican side, there are people like Thomas Massey, Rand Paul, Gozar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, to a lesser extent, Lauren Bullock. But at least there are some people on the Republican side who have the freedom to stand up. 
Now, do you agree with me? They don't get, they get criticized. And when Rand Paul came out and slowed down the 40 billion for a couple of days, he was attacked by many people on his own side, but he was not crushed. He still could do that. And if he'd been a Democrat, he wouldn't have even gotten out of the bag. They would have suffocated him before he got out and said anything. Do you agree with me that the, both parties are useless, but the, the Democrats are far worse and more dangerous? I agree with you to a certain extent that Democrats can be identified. And you and I both know the most dangerous type of wolf is the one that is in sheep's clothing. And the damage that continues to be done, well, the Democrats do it, but there's on the surface so we can identify it. I actually think in many ways we can always fix it. I mean, look at Trump. While he did, didn't do everything, he fixed a lot of problems all at once. Where, where the Republicans can be is that we don't know all the damage that warmongers like John McCain did. We don't know all the damage that Mitt Romney is currently doing. Or let me go down a list of it, what Dr. Oz if he potentially gets in. We don't know. We will not know all of that. And the most damage that I believe has been done to freedom of speech and freedom of the press in this country, and I'm not going to apologize for this, I think comes from John McCain and the legacy that he lives, even though he has been passed on, it still lives today because he planted a very deep-rooted seed of hate towards anything that had to do with Russia, anything that had to do with other countries that were against his work. I mean, he's almost like a Biden family, anything that he made money off of. So, yes, I agree with you. The Democrats might be more dangerous, but at least we can identify everything they've done. We can't always identify the Republicans, and it takes years and decades to uproot. But no, I, I, and I agree that that is a danger. But what are you going to say, Scotty? You fight your own party, Lee. That's the other side of it. And I think this is the thing about American politics that those, you know, from the outside look at us and kind of scratch our heads. The fact that we only have two parties um, in this system is because what happens is that you end up fighting, you know, we've just seen it with the primary. We're still dealing with primary battles. You end up fighting your own party uh, going, what, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? And it gets to be so brutal the Republicans just shut it down. They just, you know, they don't continue the fight. They're like, well, I'm just going to stay home. I'm not going to fight them anymore because, you know, my and that's the problem with Republicans is that uh, we, we were very vicious towards each other and we don't forgive. Um, if, they, if you're not with my guy, then we we will we consider that to be, you know, the end all be all, especially with a candidate like what we see with Trump right now. And and that's what scares me with Trump is that we there is a huge faction of the Republican Party right now that say, well, it doesn't matter what Trump says or endorses or what he does. I'm going to be with him. And if you're not with him 100 percent, then you are against him. You're against me. You're against God and you're against the United States. And that's a very dangerous place to be in a very you know, a powerful place that doesn't need to exist for any individual. But the people I mentioned, all the people I mentioned, none of them have showed any signs of backing down. Rand Paul didn't back down. Marjorie Taylor Greene is out there saying she's digging in. And you heard about this recent attempt. It was a, a tested plan by Biden. He wanted to come up with a way to generate hate against Republicans. And what he came up with 
and they did focus groups and all kinds of marketing tricks. Ultra MAGA. The Ultra MAGA label was a Biden plan to demonize Republicans. You heard about that, right, Scotty? I, I do identify as being Ultra MAGA. Right. And the thing is, it's a dumb Biden plan because it's like deplorable. But there's nothing. When I first heard Ultra MAGA, I thought it was something Republicans to come up with. They're designating themselves as more MAGA than MAGA. I didn't know it was a Biden insult. Ultra MAGA is a badge of honor, as far as I'm concerned. No, and Marjorie Taylor Greene said in a tw- tweet in the past 24 hours, she said, the future Republican Party is pro-American. And I think she might be onto something there because at least people, at least Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't tuck her tail. She stayed aggressive. And when she was on the baby formula issue, she stayed on it. And she turned out to be right. I think that's one good lesson from Trump is when they insulted Trump, he threw it right back at him and their insults boomeranged. But if you notice these Republicans that I'm talking about, Massey, Rand Paul, Gozar, they double down. They don't cower. They don't. But and let me say this, and I'm not a fan of Madison Cawthorn, especially his personal life. I think he definitely was wrong for the Republicans. They obviously did not vet him very well in the very beginning when he got elected, any of it. Um, but he was one of those that stuck his neck out on the line. He definitely took swings. But so if you're going to be someone who takes swings at others, you have to be like Jesus, literally, since the day you were born. Because they will dig up every skeleton and they will take you. And, and, and it wasn't the Democrats that took Madison Cawthorn out. And let, let's point it. Madison Cawthorn, his number one person that he continuously was going after was Adam Kissinger. It was uh, the uh, representative out of Texas that, you know, it's been a major turncoat um, for Republicans are calling him a rhino. What's his name? Um, oh, Lee, you know this. Or, I'm not sure you think. Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw. He, he continued. Oh, yeah. On this One-eyed McCain. I, one-eyed McCain, exactly. Like I used, like I said, I have problems with Madison Cawthorn. I have a lot of problems. When he came out and he talked about all of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that he had witnessed in Congress, I honestly think he was being truthful about it. The problem is there's a reason why he was invited, probably because he had that history. He can't do that in Washington, D.C., and there's very few good men or women that could survive when the, when the Republicans turn on you and they know where your skeletons are who could survive the the lynching that, that they go for. And guess what? Madison Cawthorn obviously could not. But he had been very much pro-keeping uh, the money here in the U.S., anti the U.S. involvement in Ukraine. He had put his neck on the line and drawn that fire. You just have to make sure that you're just as pure as the Virgin Mary and have as, just as good of a heart as Jesus Christ did and a reputation because the, the Republicans, Democrats didn't take him out. It was the Republicans. And replaced him with a very, and this is the only thing, he's a very moderate to liberal Republican in North Carolina. So they might have gotten rid of the guy with the really bad personal choices, but they definitely, with the the, the more moderate wing of the Republican Party, just got an additional vote within that House seat. And I, I think that, again, I don't see that side gaining power. I see them 
to a certain extent, the people who remain bad remain bad. Mitch McConnell is still Mitch McConnell. But I'm noticing some Republicans who seem to have the strength of their convictions who are surviving and uh, who are the people who rally support. And they've got the Republican Party and the Democrat Party and the media against them. You've seen insane stuff about Gozar or Rand Paul, for instance. And Rand Paul physically attacked by his neighbor. Mm-hmm. And he still gets attacked in the media. But, and dishonest attacks. But it doesn't make any difference because he's still there. And there's no place for someone like that in the Democrat Party. And at least there's a place. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, I've been impressed by because she's continued to stand strong. And I think if she wins re-election, they will go nuts. The media is going to go insane. They tried to keep her from running. But I want to go to calls quickly. 202-521-1320. Therese. Wait, wait, who? Yeah, Therese. Therese? Mm-hmm. Hey, Therese. How's it going? Hi. Hi. Good. Good, Lee. Yeah, um, it, you're, uh, I found your conversation really excellent right now, talking about how it's uh, you're not hearing anything about this uh, event that's happening for the with the World Health Assembly um, that's going on between the 22nd of May and the 28th of May. And how they're both. This is, is this Monkeypox Fest? Monkeypox Fest? I'm not sure. Well, it's it's an event about monkeypox. Is that what the event is for the WHO? No, no. This is regarding the the vote for the assembly. Uh, they're trying to okay. Base a world dictatorship through the WHO, the, uh, the WHO. And people can read about it. They covered, they had a really good um, uh, coverage of this on Lindell TV. I was watching a show last night with uh, Tamara Scott, and uh, she was on with Dr. Bregan, who's a psychiatrist, and he wrote a book. Uh, I forget the first part of it, but the, the it's something about We Are the Prey, P-R-E-Y, and they were discussing um, the – it's called the Global Preparedness Monetary Board. I guess it formed in September uh, 19th or, or uh, 2019, or maybe this was their, their first annual report was done on September 19th, uh, 2019. And they're talking about basically how they plan through the WHO – to uh, declare, but like on page 39, they talk about their ultimate objective was to um, head, uh, like to bring in a, basically a medical dictatorship but to, through the UN um, and, and uh, going in and changing these um, uh, amendments. And it's not a treaty. That's, a, that's another thing that they really are stressed right now because the alternative uh, message is, is that it's a treaty 
and um, and it can be changed, but it, but it can't. It's an amendment, and it's very very serious. We if this is successful, we will be under a medical dictatorship. From what I'm hearing. Well, thanks thanks to the cultures. So, Scotty, are you increasingly worried about groups like the WHO, these unelected panels, having more and more power over citizens' lives? Absolutely. And, and there's a good reason why. We just lived through a global pandemic where, across the board, we realized how small this world was and how different organizations, both here in the United States and around the world, did nothing to prevent, did nothing to minimize. If anything, what they did only encouraged its spread and never held anybody, anyone accountable for our actions. So yes, I am very much, and if you can't think, if there's, no, you wanna say one thing, it's this globalist agenda. And like I said, I get it. I am one of those that celebrate the various countries and cultures around the world. I love to travel. I love the people of other countries. I don't want them to be the United States. In fact, if anything, I want us to learn from what those countries do. That being said, they need to stay in their country just like the United States needs to mind our own business and stay in our own country. And we have enough tyrannical rule from our own government, much less, which is one of the things that the pandemic has done. It has only fed the beast of these world organizations. Like I said, we've got NATO wanting to expand. They're going to lose in Ukraine. We're just going to call it out. They're losing. They're going to lose in Ukraine, but they are going to spin it that they were able to change the scene for NATO, they were able to expand it. Therefore, it was a win. And unfortunately, then when you have the majority of the mainstream media backing you up, America might actually believe it too. You know, we're looking at, we just had the official um, turning over of, of, of one major region within Ukraine, and it's already being spun on Twitter. As I've been sitting here watching how people covered it, and you, I'm just shocked at how the Washington Post and our others are just saying that uh, that Zelensky withdrew this Mariupol of, of uh, he chose to withdraw Mariupol to save lives. Uh, that's how they're, they're literally spinning it to still make him look out to be this major prophet of the area. All of that is just absolutely, but, but that's unfortunately, he can say that because the world is backing him up on it. Major organizations like the EU, uh, as well as NATO, is backing up and encouraging him to say it. So, yes, large, powerful international uh, control groups do definitely uh, keep me up some nights thinking about. But I do think that millions of people around the world, millions, a lot more people than ever, are aware of that. The Washington Post may say Zelensky was trying to save lives and have people evacuate. And they didn't surrender. But no one believes it. I, I mean, the people that do believe it are, they believe anything. There, there are some people, if you took a poll and said, was a Hunter Biden laptop Russian disinformation, you'd still get a percentage of Americans. And I'll, let me make this real quickly. Did you see that one of Trump's lawyers is taking on the CIA? and saying, you need to discipline the people who wrote the letter saying the Biden laptop was CIA, 
was Russian disinformation. Did you see that lawsuit? I have not, but now that's going to give me something to read. Reading material this weekend. It's not a lawsuit. It's a letter, at least. And you, Dr. John Kiriakou, the old co-host of the show, anything ex-CIA people publish needs to go through a board, right? You know that. Mm -hmm. They didn't go through that board when they put out that letter. And that's required disciplinary action by the CIA and uh, examination of why it didn't go through that board. But we know it didn't go through that board because it didn't have the authorization from that. And I'm so glad. I think forcing him to follow the rules is an important principle here. But, Scotty, we're out of time now. Thanks so much for the great conversation. Great visiting with you on a Friday, Scotty. Take care of yourself. When we come back, we'll be joined by Rod from Philly, our producer. Your calls, 202-521-1320. And later in the hour, Tom Nichols on a Friday edition of The Backstory. from the Empire of Lies, the final hour for the week of the show that is an oasis of truth and free speech in the vast barren wasteland that is the Biden administration. A vast barren wasteland only occasionally punctuated by crack whores. Those are hunters. But other than that, it's a vast wasteland. And that's kind of wasted too. I'm Lee Stranahan. This is The Backstory. Thanks to Scotty and Al Hughes for joining us in the last hour. Great conversation with Scotty. I've known Scotty a long time and always like talking politics with her. She's a stalwart and she's a liberty-loving American and love talking to Scotty. Joining us this hour, Tom Nichols. I also believe he loves liberty. Would you say that's true, Rod? Tom likes freedom? Yeah, 100%. Especially free speech. Right, and he should. He's a, he's an author, and a writer, and I'm especially disgusted. See, a lot of people. I'm one of those people. Would I have liked to have been at the Cannes Film Festival or the Grammys? Not the Grammys so much. Not not today. Maybe in 1976, the Grammys would have been fun. That was a little before disco, and we're still in the classic rock period. So probably the Grammys were okay then. But today's Grammys, would you want to go to the Grammys today, Rod? Be honest. No. I'll be 100% honest, no. Is there any music contemporary? You know, here's how old I am. And let's get to the boom. Rod, remind me, remind my befuddled little brain. What's the name of the show? You're listening to The Backstory. Now, I'll admit, I, I love music. But I've gotten to the point where a lot of times, like Coachella, they recently had the big music festival Coachella in California. You know, like six days, I think, of music. 
Rod, I looked at the Coachella lineup. Arcade Fire was the only group I knew. And they're a minor group, but I like Arcade Fire. But I didn't know who any of the people playing Coachella were. This is how old I've gotten. Is it just me? Or when you look at the lineups, uh, like who's nominated for a Grammy? They're talking about people like Machine Gun Kelly and Post Malone and whoever. I can't name a single Machine Gun Kelly song. I can't hum a Post Malone tune. What is up with music? Rod, am I alone? Yeah, I know what you're saying, Lee. Uh, music's definitely changed. Uh, the only Post Malone song I know off the top of my head would be White Iverson. Uh, that was his first song that made him go viral. That's it. I don't listen to I don't listen to these guys' music. I really don't listen to any stuff that's coming out in the last I'd say last six seven years. I really listen to like '90s, 2000s, you know, R&B and stuff like that. Just because whatever's out now is just it's not really rap. They're not really you know. There's no uh, creativity. They're just talking about, you know, if you're talking about rap and hip hop, they're just talking about murder, uh, you know, having sex with girls. You know, I've been listening to that since I was growing up. Like, you got to have something else to talk about, you know what I'm saying? Or, or be able to mix it in, have some type of creativity. There's no creativity. And I appreciate the fact we have the best audience in the world. And when our callers, like Brave, when he knows he can drop a third base reference and I'll pick it up. He knows that I've been down from day one. Were you surprised I got the you, third base reference, Rod? No, not at, not at all. And you forgot, the, and you you know, you were talking yesterday about, you know, white guys. You forgot about the three Jewish Brooklyn rappers, uh, the Beastie Boys. Beasties, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, you know, but still street. And in the case of the Beasties, hugely influential. That that's you know, I would say not. Not the first wave of rap is people like Cole Herc. But this, I would say, I would put Run DMC, BCs in the second wave. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, the BCs is a little bit after Run DMC. I think they they uh, were inspired by Run DMC. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And it was just yeah. a different time, different time in the late 80s, early 90s. A lot of create that, that's a lot of creativity. It was different types of rap. You know, you could dance to it. You could, you know, you could have a whole routine or, you know what I mean? It was, it was, you could have your family listen to it or whatever. But now it's a little different. And the songs is just, you know, there's no creativity in my mind, in my opinion. And even the first wave of gangster rap, there were some, there were some good jams there. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, you know, again, I like some NWA stuff, and I, I certainly like early Snoop and Dre. And th- that first wave of gangster rap, I can't put down. I can't put down. They were they were good jams. And uh, but now I don't know what's going on. And it's sad. No, I'm the, I'm the same. I'm, you know, I'm in my 30s, and you know, I hear the same from a lot of people in my age group. They don't like the new music. Uh, you know, it's like they're going, they're reverting back to the older music we were listening to when we were younger. You know what I mean? So uh, that's why I say, you know, we were talking about music. I think last week, 
we were talking about that the 90s is going to be considered oldies music now or whatever, but it seems that's where it's going. And even younger people are reverting back to that music too. Yeah, 90s are becoming oldies. And I was I was commenting last night, I did a few tweets about it. The fact that we lost Chris Cornell from Soundgarden and Audio Slave and Scott Weiland from Sun Temple Pilots and, of course, Kurt Cobain lost a long time ago. But we lost three of the lead singers from the top grunge or whatever you want to call them, acts of early 90s music are dead now. We've lost them completely. Uh, is bizarre. It, and also, speaking of... And then who's on the phone? Al Killer. Okay, we'll get to Al Killer in one second. I'll mention the other weird thing. There's controversy about Taylor Hawkins. Taylor Hawkins, of course, was a drummer from the Foo Fighters. And he was a great drummer. And if Mark Frost were here, I'm sure he'd agree. Taylor Hawkins was a great drummer. And part of the reason he was a good drummer is because he genuinely looked like he was having fun. He was a hitter. He hit him hard. And also, he had good influences. His first big influence was... Roger Taylor from the band Queen. He was a big Roger Taylor fan. And he's talked about that in interviews. And then later, Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers, Neil Pear from Rush. He liked the people who hit, hit the drums hard. Now, Taylor Hawkins died about a month ago. And there's some controversy about that because the cause of death has not been revealed yet. They found a lot of substances in his body. And I saw the list, and they started with THC. I don't think that substance was the one that did it. And then they got down the list, and they named some chemicals that I didn't even know what they were. And then they got to opiates. I'm guessing if he died of an overdose, it was the opiates. But the fact is, it's a month later, and he died on tour in South America. I didn't know he was in the middle of a tour. I thought he might be at his house or whatever. But do you think it's a little bizarre that a month later, we don't know the cause of death? No, I don't, Lee. Uh, this is this is the trend we're going to see. I mean, look at Bob Saget. His family wanted his. And then that's crazy that the judge uh, agreed to seal his records forever you know, on the cause of his death. So th this is where uh, things are going to go. Um, for a lot of reasons, but I just wanted to add on what you were talking about, <clears throat> you know, Nirvana and uh, Soundgarden. There is one group that played with all these guys in, in the early days, and I know you know who I'm talking about, and they're big 420 advocates, uh, which would be Cypress Hill. They played with all those groups in the early days, and Cypress Hill, uh, pretty, they, you know, flowed through the whole spectrum. They became, you know, did rock, Spanish, and all that stuff, and, you know, rap, so... Right, no, right, good good point. And they are insane in membrane, officially. The cause of insanity has been revealed. It was in the membrane. But I, I, I agree with what you're saying about Bob Saget being an indicator of things to come, but I still kind of like to know what happened. And only because we're at an age when for instance, 
if it was COVID-19 or something, we, we should want to know that. And whether they call it COVID-19 or not, and it was actually something else, we should want to know that. Look, there are people who are still just debating Kurt Cobain's not cause of death, but who's responsible for it. There are people who, conspiracy theorists, I say, who are still denying Kurt Cobain committed suicide. I think it's pretty clear he did. Now, why he committed suicide, there's a variety of— talk about that one day, Lee. Yeah, there's a variety of people. Obviously, anyone who's listened to Euro, Nirvana's last album, when when Kurt Cobain has lyrics in All Apologies, the lyrics, there's a couplet, married, buried. I would say he was having some trouble with Courtney. I think it's pretty obvious. Married, buried, those are the lyrics. That's telling. But let's go to the quick killer of owls, 202-521-1320. What's on your mind, owl killer? Welcome to Grunge Shock on Sputnik. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I don't know how anybody can listen to that second Nirvana album, to be honest with you. I, I never got into to Nirvana. I, I was all uh, 90s rap growing up, early 2000s rap, but I, I, I couldn't appreciate it until I was in my 20s. But that first album is on a different on a different level, I could see why they were so big. Um, but yeah, this you know, you, is almost. Do you mean Bleach or do you mean which is the one with uh, the the baby that's now suing for using his image? That's a, that's the one that smells like Teen Spirit. That was actually their second album, their first big commercial album. Bleach was their first album. But I'm a big fan of In Euro. In Euro's a lot of great songs on that. Anyway, Alcala, how are you doing? What's on your mind? So, I what I want the last couple of weeks, um, you know, just paying attention to the world and you know the news stories in the world. Um, I, if you haven't seen it already, I, I would recommend seeing that uh, Two Thousand Mules" by uh, Dinesh D'Souza. But um, at what point do people say, okay, they're they're pretty much they're Almost everything we see is it's all it's all fake, and it seems to be that. I mean, whether it's the Twitter followers that don't exist, um, it's basically we're given a a reality that we're just supposed to accept, and they try to make us feel like we're the only people that think a certain way. So we need to change the way we think. Um, I. At what at what point do people say, okay, you know, they're look how they're overwhelming us um, with. The war in Ukraine, that's just one facet of it. That, I think that's—I I always look for the distractions now because this piece of legislature, or not legislature, this treaty that's coming out between the U.N. and the World Health Organization, the, the World Economic Forum is being, is the, are the people that are championing champion this, and they are being given power over our— um, uh, pandemic responses and Tucker did a great segment on it uh, yesterday. The, and uh, the Biden administration actually asked for some um, provisions where the, you needed the acceptance of the country that you were um, that you were responding to a pandemic in. They sent back. They sent back to have it rewarded where if you don't like you don't have any autonomy, you don't have any uh, 
ability to make your own uh, rules once a pandemic's been declared. Um, th- I, I, this great reset is real, and you see, you're seeing it with the food and the gas prices. They are trying to price us out of being able to do anything for ourselves where we don't have an ability to make any decisions and we just have to conform or we're not going to be able to take care of ourselves. And I, I mean, like outside of the owl just walking out and saying, hey, okay, I really am controlling the show. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what people need when these people write books, they give speeches, um, and they're pretty clear of what their, goal, their end goal for humanity actually is. And people just don't want to seem to accept reality. No, I, I think it's a good point. And, you know, one thing a friend of mine made a point, the great book 1984, Orwell's book 1984, there was a character in there, Emmanuel Goldstein. And Emmanuel Goldstein, I, I'm not going to recount the plot of the book, but basically, Winston Smith, who's a, the hero of the book, he thought Emmanuel Goldstein was a good guy. He thought he was someone, he, he was, Emmanuel Goldstein was in theory a rebel who was fighting back against the system. And he trusted Emmanuel Goldstein. He was this figure who was hated by the society. And apparently he was a enemy of the state. But when he followed him, it turned out that Emmanuel Goldstein was a plant that the state had put out there. And a friend of mine made the point that QAnon was Emmanuel Goldstein. I've said before that QAnon is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And this friend of mine pointed out that QAnon is not the stupidest thing. The stupidest thing is the mainstream media. And I agree with that. And his point was the people who went for QAnon, at least they didn't trust the mainstream media. Now, what they followed was, and I'm going to come to the Emmanuel Goldstein part, what they followed was not true, but they made the first leap of faith and not trusting the MSM. And the MSM are liars, and that's what you're pointing out, Al Killer. The mainstream media cannot be trusted. We know that for sure. Now, if you look at what happened with the people who followed QAnon, the way it's sort of like Emmanuel Goldstein. The people who followed QAnon down to the Capitol, they got rounded up and equivalent of putting Room 101. That was a way to round up the Emmanuel Goldstein followers. That was a way to round up the people who didn't trust the mainstream media and to send a message to everybody else. This is what happens. And again, I... I I didn't go down. I I knew some people who went down to the Capitol. I would not have gone. If I had lived in Virginia, I would not have gone. I I smelled a rat. I smelled a setup. I'm not surprised that we've had people rotting in jail since then. But the last thing you should do is, and I understand it's hard, you cannot let fear operate your life. Now, that doesn't mean you be foolhardy. It doesn't mean you go nuts. 
but you try to be rationally defiant. Tell the truth. And I put it like this, stuff like sharing stuff on Twitter, even though people like Jason Goodman have been suspended from Twitter, and apparently, no, Rod, and we're going get, to get to Ingrid in one second, but Rod, as far as I can tell, Jason was, was banned because they're banning people sharing it because of the stuff he did on Ninja Jankovic. Correct, Rod? Does that seem like that to you? That's exactly what it seemed like. And you said it right. It's Janko, you know, Jankovic. It's not Jankowitz. It's Jankovic. Just how she said it. So we got to you know, say how she said it. Um, yeah, that, that's how I saw it when he, when, he, when he texted me and told me that. It's immediately what I thought. And then now we have uh, Nina Jankovic coming out on TV like a, you know, like a, girl, a little girl got her lollipop stolen. She's upset. Right. And I think the point is to make her a martyr and to make her enemies to be... See, here's what they're dealing with. They're dealing with woke people who fundamentally don't like America. Is that fair to say? Oh, that, yeah, that's exactly. That's I mean, me, you, and Al Killer, we, we all know this. You know, <laughs> we, we try to present it in a, in a nice manner. But a lot of these people, you know, I was just in D.C. These people do not like America. They hate America. They want to, they want to destroy it. They want to see a slow or a fast burn. You know, it's like the Joker from The Dark Knight. They just want everything to burn. And but what they love being able to do is accuse Trump supporters or people who do like America and who don't like who don't like the state of America. There's a difference between like the country's ideals. Like I say, Vladimir Putin's got this aspect right, completely right. He is someone who acknowledges his country's history. Obviously, he loves Russia, right? You know what I'm saying? He Not in a nationalistic way, an a ethnic nationalist way, but he's not ashamed of his ethnicity. He's not, he doesn't hate people based on that. He's not talking about pure slabs or something like that. But he obviously loves his country, but can acknowledge his country's problems. Have you noticed that about him? I yeah, no, I, I I agree with you on that. He, you know, he's very diplomatic, but he also presents, you know, Russia's not perfect and has problems as well, just like other countries like here in America. But you know, they're trying to deal with it versus here in America, where they're trying to use our problems against us. You know what I mean? And what issue? What other issues? We, yes, there's racial tension in America, just like there is all over the world. And they're trying to use that against us. Right, and and acknowledge the good things about. And 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 the trick they have is how do they get woke people who don't like America to act patriotic and wartime? And what they've done is if they can accuse because they like accusing, if they can accuse Trump fans of being traitors. You see what I'm saying? If the woke people can say, no, you're a traitor, you're a Russian traitor. That gives them a sense of moral superiority. And they still don't have to like America. So let's go to the calls, 202-521-1320. Speaking of NDC, Ingrid in D.C., what's on your mind? Hey, I called in to talk about Madison Cawthorn. 
But since our killer brought up the Great Reset and all the things going on now, you, you talked maybe yesterday about aliens, and I'm very skeptical. I was very happy that Carter Laren brought up technical reasons why he was skeptical. But in thinking why they, they bring it up, my first thought was, is the Pentagon is just saying, well, this is something we should study. This is, this is another ploy to get money for a new department of the Pentagon. But then also, if they're going to plant this seed of, well, yes, there's something out there, this may be a way of trying to corral everybody into accepting a great human reset. But anyway, what I want to say about Madison, um, I think you and other people have said they, they thought his downfall was, was the sex scandals or allegations or whatever. Maybe that's what it looks like, on, but I feel like what he really did that is unique to him and all these other people like Rand Paul and, and Massey and everything, they're against this $40 billion, but they go in with these complicated economic reasons or whatever. Madison Cawthorn, to my knowledge, is the only person who's come out and said Zelensky is a thug. Now, I don't know how he came to that conclusion or why he said it, but that seems to be very unique in the whole political sphere of anyone. And I think that's what brought him down. Well, yeah, that is absolutely forbidden to say. And the viciousness they're going after him in defeat, I think you're right. I think that's part of it. But perhaps he was able to say that because he did a cursory bit of research. The fact that, I, I, again, I'm re repeating myself, but the fact that Zelensky's made $10 million while in office, you don't earn that money honestly. You've got a job. Where did that money come from? And no one's even looking. No one's even saying, well, let's point out where that money came from. Obviously, he's a thug. And he works for someone, Kolomoisky, who's undoubtedly a thug. A guy who's got a... Rod, you've heard about this. In his office, he's got a fish tank full of sharks. Have you heard that about Kolomoisky? Yeah, I know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Now, so if I called you in for a meeting and I had a shark in a fish tank, that's a little James Bond villain, right? That's something like out of a James Bond villain. Yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. The ones with Sean Connery back in the day. Yeah, no, that's crazy. That's crazy. You know, you have a, a pet sharks. Yes. And you can threaten to throw people to it. And I'm sure he has, just for fun. But I don't have any proof of that. Just what's the point of having a shark in your office if you can't occasionally throw interns to it? What's the point? Right, Rod? You know, uh, unless, he's, unless he's getting real crazy, you know, like uh, Dr. Evil and Austin Powers and trying to put lasers on it but you know that's that's just uh, the disbelief so so i don't know what the shark is for see was the shark would have been good who should have had that was johnny depp and like 
if Amber Heard came in and said, no, the Yorkie poops on the bed, he just throws the Yorkie into the shark tank. Boom. You see? That's what I solved that problem. And I, I had a Yorkie, so I know a little bit about that. There's times I would have thrown it into the shark tank. But uh, but good point, Ingrid. Now, now this uh, uh, reminds me, the other area I've been hitting on is I'm trying to figure out, you know, I've been watching this Jimmy Dore versus Anna Kasparian battle, okay? Have Rod, you been following any of that? Uh, just when I see it on my timeline, I haven't been following it myself. You know, I just, you know, if I see it on my timeline, I play the video. And, you know, Jimmy Dore is usually funny. He's funny to me. So, you know, I'll, you know, I watch whatever the clip is, if he's, if it's him. He's funny, but I actually don't know. See, Jimmy Dore and other people like that, what they managed to do is maintain their progressive wacky ideas. See, I think the problem with Bernie Sanders, I'll put it like this. I notice a lot of, and a little, I don't like to bicker with guests, but I've noticed that a lot of people on the left don't like you to admit that they're on the left. They like to say the Democrats aren't left. Have you noticed that, Ron? They say the Democrats aren't left. Right. Yeah, no, no, for sure. For sure. There's no such thing as extreme left-wing terrorism, you know. Right. Or even there's no such thing as the leftists. They try to say that because the Democrats aren't in favor of socialism, well, they're a capitalist party. No, but they're a capitalist with a heavy dose of government involvement. And that's why I call left. If you're in favor of heavy government involvement, that's a left position in the American definition of left and right, where right means less government involvement, lower taxes, less regulation. That's on the American right. Agreed? Yeah, no, that's how, that's how I see it. I don't know. So... What they managed to do is hold on to the crazy ideology, but act like they're above it all. And and Jimmy Dore can be amusing to watch. And they they get stuff semi right, but not fully. And I actually think there's a way in which they're more part of the problem because they can't say like he said something about Rand Paul something forty billion dollars. They praised him. But he pointed out Rand Paul, who's a nut on most things, which he said, I don't agree that Rand Paul's a nut. Do you think that, Rod, do you see Rand Paul take a lot of nutty positions? Uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, I think he's pretty sensible in the positions he takes. Uh, I think he should. I think he I don't um, uh, I understand he's put this provision for oversight into this 40 40 billion. I wish, you know, not, not trying to, you know, this is what he should have done. But I'm just saying I wish he would have went harder and said that, no, they should. They don't deserve it at all. Yeah, there's there's only so much power he has as one senator. And I'm glad he did something. And I would agree. I'd like to see him do more. 
But the way they do it is not by constantly attacking them or damning them with faint praise. Let's take a break. Final half hour of the show coming up with Tom Nichols here, headed into the weekend on The Backstory. from the Empire of Lies and in the capital of the Empire of Lies, Washington, D.C. We are on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now online is a great friend of the show, writer and author, Tom Nichols. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Hey, Lee. I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> Good to have you on, Tom. So, we're headed to a weekend we're expecting more shootings in Philadelphia, right? Well, I hope not. Uh, I mean, it's gotten so that, um, that you know, most people don't even follow them anymore because uh, it all becomes a blur. It's like watching a chronic war on screen. And so um, there's only so much that you can process of this. And then, it, you, you, uh, and then you become blown over, I guess. So, um, I mean, I'm not expecting more shootings. I mean, certainly I hope not. But if someone were to bet against you, you wouldn't bet a lot of money, would you? No, I wouldn't bet the house on the farm on it. You're you're exactly right. Um, now, speaking – now, yeah, we're talking about Philly, but uh, Pennsylvania has some farmland. It's not all Philadelphia. It's not all West Philly. So – What's going on in the race, the big high-profile race, because the person running is a D-list celebrity, is Dr. Oz. Have we heard heard the results from the Dr. Oz race yet? Well, I just uh, checked in, and apparently the latest reports indicate that they're going to do a total recount, and this was as of four hours ago, Um, Oz and McCormick, of course. So uh, this is really quite extraordinary. It's taken all of these days to sort of figure this out. I mean, it would seem to me that either one person is ahead or not. And even if they're ahead by 10 votes, then they're ahead and then they won the election. So um, it doesn't bode well for the big election in November, I wouldn't think. Now, this is a controversial and high-profile race because, as I say, D. Lissolari, Dr. Oz, was on the ballot. And Donald Trump came out and endorsed Dr. Oz. And why is Dr. Oz someone that many Trump supporters felt like he should not have endorsed? Yeah, well, um, I guess – I mean Oz has been has been very very quiet. He hasn't he hasn't followed that suggestion to declare a victory. And actually I think he's probably probably right. Um inflaming the media this way would just kind of go to create another firestorm. Um but um 
I mean, I started out actually not really liking Oz. Um, I know that when he came to Philadelphia um, a few years ago, um, I thought he was kind of like a public relations grandstander when he when he made this big ado about a homeless camp here by the railroad tracks and was kind of using his um, celebrity to just, um, I don't know, uh, to be on top of the news for a moment. But but later, when I looked at his position on things, um, I think I did a 180, and uh, so I can appreciate him now. Uh, McCormick, I don't, I don't know too much about McCormick. He seems to me like um, like a vanilla Turkish taffy kind of lackluster um, <laughs> uh, political type. Oz at least has a uh, has backbone and some real personality. I mean, I hope this answers your question, but um, no, it does. It does. Now, what kind of district is he running in? Well, that I don't know. That's uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I didn't um, I didn't think that he was even a resident of Pennsylvania, to tell you the truth, because it, he doesn't seem like a Pennsylvania-style celebrity to me. He seems like somebody who should be living in L.A. or New York City. Um, he just has this aura. Um, so I don't know much about his residence. Yes, but but it's obviously it's it's more it's not an urban area, right? Um, I I would I would guess not. No, no, he's certainly not from Philadelphia. I mean, because or Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know Pittsburgh. And, yeah, and and those are the two main uh, urban areas of Pennsylvania. Right, Pittsburgh and Philly. I mean, to a small extent, some there's some t- smaller cities, but those are the big ones. Am I missing anything? I know, and you know, the old saying was, outside of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, everything in between is Alabama. Um, then, of course, you have once great cities like Johnstown, PA, which have really fallen into archaeological ruins, as it were. But um, but um, I think that Pittsburgh is a lot like Philadelphia now. It's pretty well solidly uh, in the Democratic camp. And um, they're becoming twin cities in so many ways. And I assume you don't mean that in a good way. No, they're they're becoming politically predictable, um, controlled by the Democrat machine, um, you can't get anywhere if you're Republican, and um, you know something that'll go on into the future and last for decades, as it has in this city. Um, I mean, this city hasn't been Republican since the the 1950s, really. I mean, there have been a few things here and there, um, but it, it's gotten impossibly in the other camp. I think like registration now is eight to one. I mean, so if you're a Republican and if you want a political career in Philadelphia, um, you really, <laughs> um, you're not going to have much of a career. 
That's right. And and what what if anything can you see that could be done to change that? If anything could break that logjam, what would it be? I think um, people here have to get out of a lockstep mentality that they're completely locked into. I know that I ran as a Republican committee person for my tiny little division in the ward, and uh, and I got 18 votes, but I didn't have any challengers, so I essentially won. So I'll be on the ballot in November. But but I think that people have to do these tiny, tiny little steps. They have to become involved, but, but they also have to – I don't know how you get people out of a lockstep mentality. Um, people here claim to not like Craster, to not like Kenny because of the reasons that we talked about on this show before. But yet they continually vote for the same kind of candidates over and over and over again. And so I don't know whether the uh, Democratic Party is in their DNA. They're afraid to betray their family or they've always been Democrats, but they they just can't. They can't pull themselves out of that sinking sand swamp. And um, and well, it just seems to get worse rather than better. And it seems to run counter to human nature because, of course, you would think that self-interest would rule the day. But when things clearly aren't going well in the, from the city and people's lives aren't improving and it's the same people who get voted in year after year after year and then they scratch their head and wonder why things are getting worse – it seems to run counter to human nature. You would think that appealing to their self-interest would work and say, this isn't going well for you, so don't vote for that person. But we, we, have, we have a recent poll that shows that two out of ten people think the country is on the right track. In a recent poll, two out of ten people, 80% think the country is on the wrong track. But that doesn't assure anything, does it? No, it just it's just it's just hand wringing, and it's expressing your pessimism. So the next question is, what are you going to do about it? Um, is it going to be business as usual, or are you going to try to make a serious change? And um, so you have to get out of these old political habits handed down by grandma, you know. Daddy was a union man who wore dungarees, and if I betray that family legacy, I'll be a kind of a heretic. And so, I, it's a it's a it's a very very strange thing. I I think that, I mean, unfortunately, the the image of I mean Donald Trump scares a lot of people. They they hear Republican and they just. There's this freeze frame reaction that they go to. Um, when I told a very nice neighbor of mine that I was on the ticket as a Republican committee person, she she backed up and she said, well, I'm not a Republican. Don't come to my house. And this is a wonderful woman who I've had pizza and wine with. and But she was just reacting to that political idea 
of me going over to her house with a leaflet, which I would never do. But it's like this kind of thing that is is this knee-jerk response. Um, like Republicans have become um, something something terrible in their mind. Uh, maybe not so much now because there's been there's been a change um, over the last several years as the Democratic Party drifts more and more leftward, and people are finding that it's not the party they they used to know and love. It, it's completely different. And um, but I think that most people don't know where to go with that yet. There's still Processing that, but which makes uh, the future election so important, because I think the ground is fertile for change. Whether it can happen, I don't know. Because it's hard to figure out how to get under it. As I say, you'd think that appealing to people's self-interest would be the obvious thing, but because there is such a deep resonance, you have to almost hit on something primal with people. You know what I'm saying? There's something visceral about the way people react, where it's it's subconscious. It's not like a conscious thought in their head. I'm sure this neighbor of yours knew she wasn't going to get cooties from you, but she acted like she was going to need a cootie shot because you mentioned the word Republican, yeah. right? Yes, it was, it was almost funny to see her. I, I think her body language was just involuntary. She just backed up a little bit. And, you know, but you see, the, the, this is um, whether they, they've they've had too much of the flavor aid, or um, they have these ideas about Republicans. Um, but it's a it's a really curious case in this city. I thought. That once the George Floyd riots happened here, where there there was like twenty million dollars of destruction, you know, uh, both in Center City and not too far from this neighborhood, and five nights of a curfew and sounds of explosions in the street, that people would have thought, hmm, uh, is what's wrong with this picture? Why aren't the police taking care of this? Why are they letting rioters run rampant all over the city? Um, and then when you looked at the map, you found that every democratic city in the nation had similar problems, tying the hands of the police, um, <clears throat> reluctant to do anything too harsh because they were afraid of being perceived as racist, perhaps or as going against free speech or protesters, which um, once it becomes violent, of course, it goes way beyond the whole free speech thing. Um, so that, you know, people just do not know how to connect the dots. Um, and and it's sad. So and fear, which a lot of people are feeling nowadays, that's the other thing they found from Spall. Fear is not known to improve people's thinking. It's a funny thing, but people become smarter when they get afraid. They become panicked and less smart. And so it seems like it's a cycle where it almost seems like the people in power want people to be afraid. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, this, 
Absolutely, Lee. This this is the supreme tragedy of the madman in Buffalo who did that despicable deed. Now, that deed is being processed like old-school liverwurst into, into political rhetoric against conservative Republicans. You see how evil and wicked that is. And it, it's just very... Um, that really angers me. Um, I think they tried to blame Tucker Carlson for for something for or at least conservative uh, thinkers for like influencing this this um, crazy madman who obviously had mental problems. Um, so that um, and that that to me is is highly immoral using something like that for political ends. Um, and be, because people don't know the history, for instance, they automatically associate Republicans with racism. But they don't realize that, for instance, the KKK was a Democrat group historically. Right. Uh, Tom, you're not, you're not history, right? I know what, Lee? I'm sorry. The history of the Klan yes, and Democrats. Was, yes. Yeah, but you know, people people excuse that by saying yes, but they were Southern Democrats. They were like, um, you know, and and uh, once the Southern Democrats disbanded or all died out, and then that sort of KKK thing ended. But but I but I mean, really, there's no, there are no there are no KKK organizations now. I mean, um, they don't pose as Lions Club members or Knights of Columbus members. Um, so that you know, whenever, whenever people talk about that, and not radical left-wing groups, um, I have a I have a problem because they refuse to see the wicked stuff in their in their own house. Um, I mean, all of, all of these groups. I mean, look. I mean, any group that advocates violence and and hate is uh, not good. But then. Yeah, how do you define hate? I mean, there's this there's this new thing that the House just passed. I think it's called the Anti-Domestic Terrorism Bill, and where the FBI is supposed to monitor so-called hate crimes. But um, you know, who's going to define what hate is? And we, you know, we know that among the left, that's a word that is carelessly thrown around. It's kind of like Johnny Appleseed, just you know, throwing it here and throwing it there, just like they do with the word racist. Everybody's a racist, and so it loses its flavor like chewing gum on the bedpost overnight. Um, when you abuse it that way, it becomes meaningless. But uh, I don't think this anti-domestic terrorism bill will. Well, I mean, just because it passed the House, it isn't going. It isn't going to clear the Senate, obviously. Now, that being said, about the fact that people don't seem to react to this stuff, I think it's clear that Democrats are going to lose control of both the House and the Senate come November. Right? I don't. I, now, I think the Democrats are going to start to do some desperate stuff to change that, but I don't think they're going to be able to. I think the Biden administration has proven 
too inept. And when you have gas, they're saying gas could hit $6 a gallon across the country in over the summer. Yeah. When gas reaches that price, there's a baby formula shortage and potentially a food shortage coming. I don't think people can ignore that, right? Uh, I, th- I, th- I think you're right. Right now, it's just baby formula, but but when it hits boxed cereal, when it hits uh, frozen chicken, when it hits vegetables, um, then you're then you're going to have a problem. And um, all these people are predicting food shortages now. You know, empty shelves, and um, you listen to podcasts, and they're recommending that that we stack up on 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 extra things for the coming huge uh shortage. I mean, so um there seems to be a sense that that things will get a little worse before they get better. I certainly hope you're right regarding the November elections in 24. I don't see how the Biden administration can be swept into office again. Um and uh but I think that we could be in for really rough political seas, especially when the Supreme Court codifies and finalizes um, Roe versus Wade. And I think that could really set off, uh, you know, what we saw a little bit like in 2020. Um, <clears throat> but I hope you're right. Yeah, no, and... and- I worry about the run-up. I worry about what the Democrats will try to do to set things off. We, I pointed out before, we often saw these Black Lives Matter protests kick up before elections. And that's when things started to get rough with the Black Lives Matter protests. And we could well see that. But the other thing that I'm worried about is that Republicans— don't seem to have a positive agenda. Republicans don't seem to be saying, well, if we're elected, this is what we'll do. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that, Tom? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good thing to point out. Um, I really, ha- I, I know that individually, individual candidates will say what they cannot stand for and what they will try to change. But coming together collectively as a unit and saying, well, this is what we will try to do in a positive vein, um, we've always been short on those sorts of, uh, I mean, um, programs or ideas, uh, don't you think? Uh, I mean, I do. So because there's just so much to oppose right now that the natural inclination is to is to just work in that oppositional frame of mind where we don't like this and this has to be changed. Um, but um, is the Republican Party unified on that? That's a good question. Um, I think it's becoming closer. I I think that there will be a unification as we get closer to November, though. I think something important will solidify. Well, I said before, and I suggested to Tyler Nixon, who used to work for Newt Gingrich, what I think is needed is something, and I'm not talking about specifics, 
the, the equivalent of a contract for America, a clear statement of five or six principles that we in the Republicans Congress will do. And whether it's promoting parental rights, saying you have a right to, to, to determine what your children will be educated about, or they pick a few issues. If someone came out and did that, I think it would really help the Republicans from a marketing perspective. What say you, Tom? Yeah, well, well, I mean, we need people to, you're talking about uh, parental rights. People, Republicans need to say, for instance, it's not anti-gay. It's just about just about teaching children, uh, pre-K and toddler and first and second grade, anything about sexuality. It's just not what you do. It's it's kind of the family's role to sort of do that. It has nothing to do with don't say the word gay. But this is what they do on the opposite camp. They they take stuff like this and they twist it and they turn it into, uh, well, this is a program of hate brought to you by the Republicans. And it's another lie. So, and Tom, we're almost out of time. Great conversation. Let me ask you, you're a prolific writer. What have you been working on and where can people find it? Well, I am, did something for Broad and Liberty Philadelphia about my run as a committee person, you just go on to Broad and Liberty, or you can go on to the webpage at Front Page Magazine, and you can see. And, and congratulations on your rousing 18 on victory. But a victory is victory. You'll take it, right? Thank you, Lee. I got 18 solid votes. So that's, uh, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, thanks. No, no, congratulations. Tom Nichols. Great writer, speaker, and analyst, and now potentially committee person. Vote for him. Great conversation, Scotty L. Hughes, and all our callers, Ingrid, Owl Killer, Tarif. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe in the empire of lies. We'll be back with a backstory on Monday.